Hello, welcome to Chapter 6 of Five Nights at Freddy's The Silver Eyes. It's Chapter 6. The other car was gone from the lot, and when they went into the room, there was a note on Charlie's pillow written in Marla's big, loopy handwriting. We're meeting for dinner at 6.30, and then going to you-know-where, she had written. See you soon. Don't forget about the rest of us now, XOXO, Marla. She had drawn a smiley face and a heart below her name. Charlie smiled to herself, folding the note and slipping it into her pocket without showing it to John. What does it say? he asked. Uh, we have to meet them at the diner in, she checked her watch, about an hour. John nodded. He was still standing in the doorway, waiting for something. <laughs> what? Charlie said. I need to go change, he said, gesturing at the rumpled clothing he was wearing. Do you mind if I take your car? He held up the keys and jangled them. Oh yeah, of course, just come back for me, Charlie said with a grin. Of course I would, he added with a wink. When the door smiled, when he smiled, the door closed behind him. Charlie let out a sigh. Alone at last. She was unaccustomed to so much company. She and Aunt Jen moved in their own orbits, meeting gladly from time to time throughout the day, but with the assumption that Charlie could take care of her own needs or would speak up if she could not. Charlie never spoke up, though. She could feed herself, get to school and back, and maintain her high grades and casual friendships. What could Aunt Jen do about nightmares? About questions she did not really want the answers to? What could Aunt Jen tell her that was not even more horrific than what she already knew? So she was not used to the sustained presence of other people, and it was getting a little tiring. She showered quickly and pulled on new clothes, jeans and a black t-shirt, then laid back on the bed, staring up at the ceiling. She had a vague sense that her mind should be racing with excitement or horror at their discoveries, going over and over the memories that she had awakened, searching for something new. Instead, she just felt blank. She wanted to be alone, to push the memories to the back of her mind where they belonged. After what seemed like only a few short minutes, there was a knock at the door and Charlie sat up, checking her watch. More time had passed than she'd realized, and it was already time to leave. She let John in. I have to put my shoes on. She said, and she looked up at him as she knotted the laces. He had changed, this time into jeans and a t-shirt, a contrast with the formal clothes that she was getting used to. His hair was still wet, and there was something fresh and bright about him, and she smiled a little. What? He said when he noticed. Nothing, she said. You still look dirty. She joked as she pushed past him. They got in the car, this time she drove, and when they reached the diner, Charlie turned off the engine and hesitated not moving to leave the car. John, she said, I I don't want to tell anybody about Fred Bears. But he stopped himself. Yeah, he said, I think, uh, I think we forget this is your life and not just some adventure. It's fine, I can keep a secret. It's all our lives, she said. We were all there. We can tell them later. I just, I want to sort some of it out for myself first. Hey, you got it. He said, and he looked a little pleased. Charlie knew why. It was a secret between them, something she entrusted only to him. When they went inside, everybody was already halfway through dinner. Charlie realized with a sharp pang that she had not eaten all day, and she found herself suddenly starving. The waitress spotted them as they sat down and came over immediately. They talked intermittently. Lamar, Jason, and Marla had gone to a movie, and Carlton and Jessica had played video games at his house. But their conversations were cursory, just filling the time as they ate. Charlie was barely listening, and she had a feeling that even those who were talking were paying little attention to their own words. 
There was an agitated energy among the group. They were all just waiting, their minds already focused on Freddy's. What about you two? Jessica asked, looking at Charlie and John. Yeah, what about you two? Marla echoed with a twinkle in her eye. Eh, we just went for a drive, John said. Got lost for a while. I bet you did. Carlton muttered into his burger, grinning slyly, even though his mouth was full. After dinner, the group hurried through the mall and toward the restaurant, hushed and cautious. As they passed through the atrium, their shoes made only soft sounds on the tiled floor, and no one spoke. Charlie left the big flashlight in the car. They knew their way well enough by now, and the guard had almost seen them the night before. There was no reason to risk drawing extra attention. They came to the end of the hall, and Lamar at the front of the group stopped short. Charlie bumped into Marla before she realized what was happening and muttered an apology, and then froze. The night guard. He was blocking the alley behind Freddy's, his arms folded across his chest. He had no flashlight, and so he had been invisible, hidden in the darkness until they were almost upon him. I had a feeling you wouldn't leave it alone, he said with an odd, uneven smile. Marla whispered something unpleasant under her breath. You know, I could have you arrested for trespassing, he said. I saw you here last night, but I couldn't see where you got to. And guess now I know, he added with a smirk. There was something almost immediately off-putting about the man. He was tall and slightly too thin for his uniform, which bagged at the shoulders and waist, as if he'd once been more robust, but he had lost his form somehow, to illness or tragedy. His name tag reading Dave hung askew on his chest. His skin was sallow and his eyes were undercut by heavy lines, adding to the impression of long-standing ill health. What were you all doing back here anyway? He demanded. You kids partying? Drugs? I could have you arrested right now, you know. Charlie and John glanced at each other. Uh, we're sorry, Lamar said quickly. We'll go. We, we don't have any drugs. Says who? Says you? The guard wore an odd expression and his words were harsh and fast. He seemed not to be responding to what they were saying. He looked angry, but his mouth kept quirking up at the corners like he was trying not to smile. What do we do? Jessica whispered. Probably the most action he's ever had here, Carlton said with a hint of disdain, and Charlie remembered suddenly that Carlton's father was a cop. She remembered him within his uniform, tilting down his dark sunglasses at them with a mock glare, then smiling and revealing the joke. The guard, however, looked like he meant it. We'll go, Lamar said again, as sorry. Charlie looked at the man, considering him, the ill-fitting uniform, his peaky, almost exhausted-looking features. He really could kick them off the property or even have them arrested for trespassing, but still, she could not really fear him. His inadequacy shone through him like a kind of negative charisma. He would have always been shoved to the back of the crowd, always sh shouted down in an argument, always picked last, forgotten, ignored in favor of those who were simply more vital, more vigorously attached to life. Charlie frowned at herself. That was an unusual train of thought for her. She did not usually assume she could read the lives of strangers through just the lines on their faces. But it gave her an idea. Hey, why don't you just come with us, she said. You know, we're just wanting to explore a little bit and then we'll leave. And you know your way around here better than any of us do, she added, hoping that some of the flattery would stick. Yeah, and then, you know, we'll never have a reason to come back here again, Carlton added. The guard did not immediately dismiss the idea, and the others quickly chimed in with their own assurances. The guard peered at them one by one, fixing his gaze on each in turn. And when he looked at Charlie, she looked away, not wanting to meet his eyes, 
as if she would be giving something away if she let him look too deeply. Once he had inspected them to his satisfaction, though, he nodded. Eh, sure, he said. Only because I wanted to take a walk in there myself. He jerked a thumb behind him and catched the, the surprise that must have shown on their faces. Look, I'm not an idiot. I've been working here for years, and I've walked this building inside and out every night. You think I don't know what's back there? Charlie felt herself flush. She had somehow just assumed their discovery was unique. The guard looked down at his name tag suddenly and then pointed to it. The name's Dave, he said. I'm Jason, Jason said, and a little warily, the others recited their own names in turn. They stood there, looking at one another awkwardly for a moment, no one wanting to be the first one to move. But then Jessica shrugged. Oh, come on, she said. She walked quickly to the scaffolding that hid to the alleyway to Freddy's and pulled back the plastic, revealing the break in the wall, and they all filed through, squeezing past the piled boxes. Dave hung back politely, letting them all go first. He motioned to Charlie to go ahead. I don't want you behind me, Charlie thought, and she looked at Jessica, who wasn't moving either. Uh, please go ahead, Charlie said with an edge in her voice, and Dave ducked his head slowly and went. Charlie followed him, and Jessica tucked the plastic carefully back where it was, concealing their passing even though there was no one left to catch them. As they made their way down the dank alley, Charlie touched her fingers to the brick wall, dragging her hand along it as if to guide her. The flashlights all seemed a little dimmer now, though she knew it could only be her imagination. They led the guard to the heavy wooden shelf that hid the entrance, and Lamar, John, and Jessica dragged it out of the way, revealing the door. Charlie expected their new companion to be impressed, but he just nodded, as if he had suspected this all along. One by one, they entered the hall to the restaurant, and again Charlie lagged back from the group. She caught Carlton by the arm as he passed her. Carlton, she whispered. Have you ever seen this guy? Carlton shook his head. It's not that small a town. I don't know everybody. Charlie nodded absently, her eyes still on the newcomer as they made their way down the long hallway into Freddy's main dining room. She invited the guard because it seemed like the only way to get back in, but now she was regretting it. Letting a stranger into Freddy's was like letting him into her home, like giving something up. What happened to the restaurant, Lamar said, his tone carefully, even forcing a friendliness he could not have felt. Why is it boarded up, and why is the mall abandoned anyway? His voice sounded thin in the narrow hallway, and a little muted. You don't know, Dave said. This town needs money, jobs, revenue, things like that. And one thing we've got a lot of is space. So they decided to build a big mall, try and attract businesses, maybe even some tourists. They built up around where Freddy Fazbear's was, but when it came to it, no one would lease the restaurant, you know, because of what happened. So someone had the bright idea of sealing the whole place up intact. Someone who had a sentimental attachment to it, perhaps. I don't think they even tried to clear it out, but it wasn't enough. Something about that place spilled over into the rest of the building, maybe right down into the soil. No one wanted to bring their businesses here. Sometimes business owners, franchisers from outside of town would come and look at the place, but they never signed the papers. Said it just didn't feel right. I think it's got an aura, a mystical energy, maybe, if you, you know, believe in that sort of thing. Dave wiggled his fingers in the air as though casting a spell. I mean, I don't believe in that sort of thing, Lamar said shortly, but the guard did not seem to notice his tone. At each his own, he said. All I know is no one ever wanted their stores here, and they abandoned the construction before the building was even finished. 
Now nobody comes up here except kids wanting to screw around. And me. He added with what sounded like pride, and he must have felt some sort of possessive. Charlie thought, the only one who ever came here for years and years. It must have felt like it belonged to him, this strange, half-finished building. To him, they must be the invaders. They came to the end of the hallway, and the space opened up before them. Jessica ran ahead to the control room behind the stage, her flashlight bobbing merrily ahead of her. She disappeared for a moment, then hit the light switch, and all at once, the room was warm and bright. Charlie stopped blinking in the sudden light, and Dave brushed past her as he did something to catch her eye. There was a scar on his neck, curved and ugly, almost a perfect half-moon. The tissue was knotted and white, the cut that must have been a deep one. Only a few feet away, Dave turned in a circle, taking in the restaurant in an awed, and as he did, Charlie saw that the scar had a twin, the same half-moon in the same place on the other side of his neck. She shivered a little. Those marks were too clean, too perfectly placed. They looked deliberate. The group fanned out. Carlton, for some reason, headed towards the kitchen, and Jason wandered away towards the arcade again. Be careful, Marla called out after him, but she was already following Lamar to the control room to join Jessica. Charlie hung back, and John stayed with her. Something was different in the air. It felt thinner, like she had to breathe deeper just to get oxygen. Oh my god, it's just a guy, she told herself. But that was the problem. They brought an outsider with them, and now the restaurant felt less secure, no longer hidden away. Freddy's had been breached. Freddy, Bonnie, and Chica had begun to jerk in their stiff, singular movements. Charlie looked at Dave, but he did not appear even surprised. He's been here before, she thought. Of course he's been here before. The whole town used to come here back then. John motioned her on, and reluctantly she went with him to the control room, Dave tagging along behind them like a stray. In the booth, Jessica was hunched over, pressing buttons, and Lamar was studying the control board, trying to make sense of it. Dave peered intently over their shoulders, watching. He was nodding slightly to himself, wrapped up in some private calculation. And when Jessica stepped back and stretched, he cleared his throat. <clears throat> Could I, uh, give it a try? He drew himself up a little, extending his arms graciously. Jessica and Lamar exchanged glances and shrugged. They shuffled around so that he could reach the board, and he stared down at it for a long moment without moving, then touched a series of buttons, and a hum rose from the speakers, a long, lone tone that did not waver. Whoa, Jessica said and pointed to the monitors. Charlie saw movement on the screen and backed out of the control room to look for herself. On stage, the animals were now dancing, crudely, awkwardly, without grace or complexity. Charlie remembered, but they were moving in sequences, not just one motion at a time. Charlie went back to the control room, but did not go beyond the door. How did you do that? She snapped, not caring if it was rude. Dave raised his hands. <laughs> uh, beginner's luck, I suppose. I was just pressing some buttons. Right. Charlie said and rubbed her temples. Can someone please turn off the speakers? Lamar doddered forward and flipped a switch, and the sound died. Despite the silence, Charlie felt as if she could still hear it, whining away inside of her head. She closed her eyes for a moment, and when she opened them, Jessica and Lamar had gone back to working the controls. But there was a caution in their movements, and they glanced at each other every few seconds as if seeking reassurance. Charlie looked at John. His arms folded across his chest, and his eyes were trained on the back of Dave's head. In the arcade, Carlton pressed some random buttons on the game console knowing nothing would happen, and then turned around, finding himself the subject of an eleven-year-old's resentful stare. What? He said. I'm not a baby, Jason said. You don't have to watch me. 
What? Jason, I'm not watching you. I'm just hanging out with you. I'm not Marla. Go stick your tongue in an electric socket for all I care. He waggled his eyebrows comically and Jason laughed. Well, fine, maybe I will, he said, and he scanned the baseboards for a socket, briefly considering calling Carlton's bluff. But when he glanced back, Carlton had already wandered off. Jason bit his lip and rocked on his heels, feeling foolish. After a moment, he went back to the drawings on the wall. There were too many drawings to pursue each one in turn, but Jason suspected he would not need to. As they had the night before, the drawings would come to him. They wanted to be found. All Jason had to do was look. The drawings in the arcade gave up nothing. They were just children's grubby art, faded with age. He went back out into the dining room, still hugging the walls and scanning them, hunting for something that was more than crayon. What are you up to, Jason? Lamar was suddenly behind him. Jason turned around and studied him for a long moment, considering. He did like Lamar, even if his friendliness could be traced easily to his interest in Marlowe. Lamar had bent down, so his head was almost level with Jason's, and Jason leaned toward him and whispered, The drawings move. Lamar drew back, and for a moment a look of real alarm crossed his face, but it was fleeting. Jason bit his lip, waiting, and Lamar grinned at him, then reached out to pat him on the head. Okay, Jason, we'll get you the help we need, he said heartily, and Jason laughed and slapped Lamar's hand away. Shut up, I'm serious, Jason said with a hint of sheepishness, and Lamar patted his head again and walked off. As soon as Lamar was a few feet away, Jason rolled his eyes. What do you think I am, your pet? He gave his hair a violent tussle, as if he could shake loose whatever Lamar had done to it, then went back to the wall, concentrating. He'd made his way along one wall and was turning the corner when it happened. A flicker, just out of the corner of his eye, almost a shimmering. He stopped. Which one was it? He scanned the drawings again, going up and down the wall carefully around the place he thought he had seen movement. But there was nothing. He started over, stopping to look at each crayon scribble, and then it happened again. He seized on it this time, his eye finding the drawing just as the shimmer of movement stopped, and just as he did, he saw another so brief he would have ignored it. Ah, it's gotta be just a trick of the light, had he not been watching for it. It was above the first, and maybe two feet to the left. His eyes darted back in a fourth, trying to see both at once. Suddenly there was a third movement, and a drawing between the two. This one was more noticeable. This time he almost, almost saw the drawing shift before it was still again. Sitting back on his heels, Jason looked at the three drawings, each in turn. The crown was black, and they all looked like they had been drawn by the same kid, all with two figures in the foreground, a child and a rabbit. Jason glanced around the room. His sister and the others still seemed to be engaged by the stage. Lamar had gone back to join them. Jason pulled the drawing he had found the night before from his pocket. He smoothed it out, pressing it on the surface of the floor. Then slowly, he peeled its linty tape out flat and stuck the paper to the wall, just at eye level. And he stared at the wall, waiting. But nothing happened. Jason frowned. He'd been so certain these would tell him something, but they were just drawings. The child and the bunny stood in the middle of the paper, in one close together and another far apart. But there was nothing there that could easily tell a story. He started to look over the others again, and the highest one began to move. This time, he saw the shift. The crown lines twisted and slid on the page, moving of their own accord, too fast to follow. When the first stopped moving and another started, they continued one after another until the last, the one he had just put back, was finished. Jason watched, his eyes wide, his heart pounding, but by the time he realized what was happening, it was over. The figures were fixed in place, and now they did tell a story. 
In the first, a child was sitting alone, and in the second, Bonnie appeared behind the child. The next, Bonnie snatched the child, lifting it off the ground. And in the last, the child was screaming. His eyes wide and heart racing, Jason stepped back. He was transfixed. His body suddenly felt lead, too heavy to run. A sound arose, like wind rustling the pages on the wall, though they hung motionless before him. The sound rushed and grew louder and louder until the wind gave away to screaming. Jason clapped his hands over his ears as the pages began to drop from the walls, landing with loud crashes as if they were made of something far heavier than paper. As he watched, the fallen pages turned to dark red, soaking through with color as they touched the floor. Jason turned to run, but his path was blocked as pages tumbled from the ceiling in a torrent. One landed on his shoulder, another on his back, and then another, and they clung to him, wrapping around him as if they would begin to suffocate him. Jason felt his legs buckle under the weight, dropping at last to one knee. As he braced himself under the storm of paper, the room began to shake violently. Jason gritted his teeth, trapped, and suddenly it was over. The red-soaked papers were gone. There was nothing on his back and Marla had him by his shoulder and was staring at him wide-eyed. Jason, what on earth is wrong with you? Jason scrambled to his feet, brushing himself off as if he were covered with invisible insects. The pictures, they were falling on me, he said urgently, still panicking, but as he looked back at the wall, he realized that the room was silent and still. A single picture had fallen from its place. Marla looked down at it, then back at her brother and shook her head. She leaned close and hissed into his ear, You embarrass me. She let loose her grip after a moment, her face almost blank and walked away. Jason stumbled as he got to his feet, but quickly as he could, keeping his eyes trained on the walls as they went. We're going to take a brief break there for an ad, and then we'll be back with the second half of Chapter 6. In the control room, Dave had his hands on the buttons, his fingers wandering lightly over them without actually pressing anything. The movement looked careless, instinctual like a habit. Charlie leaned close to John. He's been here before, she whispered. Look the way he touches those controls. Uh, maybe he's just good with computers, John offered, but not sounding convinced. Can you make them dance again? Jessica asked. Dave barely seemed to acknowledge the question. His mouth was slightly open, and he seemed to be staring at something none of them could see. In the bright lights, they could all see that his uniform was grubby and torn in places, his face poorly shaven and his eyes a little unfocused. He looked less like a guard and more like a vagrant, and he looked at them as if they had all wandered in ages ago and they were newcomers. It took him a moment to register the question. Sure. Let's see what we can do, he said, and he smiled at her, his mouth askew. His eyes were a little too intent on her face, holding her gaze just a little too long. Jessica swallowed, seized with an instinctive revulsion, but she smiled back politely. All right. I've been here a few times before. I think I can work some magic. Charlie and John exchanged glances. Wait, you've been here before? John said in a careful, even tone, but Dave ignored him, or did not hear. There was a keypad to the far left of the control board that no one had touched yet, as it did not appear to be connected to anything. But now Dave reached forward and began to press the buttons quickly, as if he'd done it a hundred times. He gave Jessica a conspiratorial glance. For special occasions, you can request a dance. <laughs> he smiled at her again with crooked intensity. Great, Jessica said, breathing a sigh of relief. Anything to get out of such a forced proximity to this man. She looked at Lamar. I'm, I'm going to go take a look. Will you take over? Yeah, sure. 
he said, scooting forward to fill the vacancy as Jessica and Dave made their way out to the show area. On stage, the lights were flashing in patterns, accompanying music that no longer played, and Bonnie's mouth was moving as though in song. His eyelids closed for long blinks, then opened again with loud clicks, his glass eyes moving from side to side. One large blue hand rose and fell, strumming exaggeratingly on a red guitar whose strings had long since gone missing. Lamar, how much of this are you doing? Carlton said, suitably impressed. Uh, not much, actually. It seems pretty pre-programmed. Bonnie turned to them, and Jessica startled as she he seemed to look right at her. But he turned away just as quickly to face the rows of empty seats, lifting his head to sing. It's strange seeing them like this, Jessica said, taking a step back to get a better view. Bonnie's foot tapped along in rhythm, and his mouth opened and closed with song. There was no voices, though, no music. There was only a strange humming coming from the speakers and an orchestra of mechanical snaps and squeaks. Bonnie sped up, strumming and tapping faster. His eyes suddenly seemed out of sync, looking left while his head went right, then rolling back into his head. Dave approached the stage with deliberate steps. Nervous little fella, aren't you? He smiled, seeming unbothered as the rabbit moved faster. Hey, Lamar, can you take it down a notch? Jessica called. Bonnie's arms began convulsing violently, his mouth open but stuttering, his eyes throwing their gaze in seemingly random directions. Lamar, something's wrong, Jessica cried. Bonnie's foot jerked upwards with the sound of a gunshot, yanking free the bolt that anchored him to the stage. Lamar! Carlton climbed onto the stage and hurried to Bonnie, trying to search the rabbit for an off button as he ducked its erratic swings. Carlton, get down, you idiot! Jessica ran to the stage. Bonnie was moving too fast, out of control, as if his program had hit a glitch. He was no longer following the dance sequence they all remembered so well. He began to convulse and thrash. Carlton scrambled back, trying to get away, but Bonnie's arm broke from the guitar, swinging out and hitting Carlton across the chest, knocking him off the stage. He landed on his back and stayed down, gasping for breath. Lamar, turn it off, Jessica shouted. I don't know how, he yelled back. Jessica knelt down beside Carlton, looking helplessly at him. She tapped his shoulder insistently. Carlton, Carlton, are you okay? Look at me. Carlton gave a small laugh that sounded more like a cough, then grabbed her hand and pulled himself to sit. It's okay. <laughs> I just got the wind knocked out of me. Jessica still looked worried. I just need a minute, he assured her, the words still coming in in little wheezes. In the control room, Lamar pressed button after button frantically, but on the screens he could still see Bonnie moving wildly and at random, not responding to anything he did. Charlie rushed in, pushing him out of the way, but it took her only seconds to see that the buttons were powerless. She locked eyes with Lamar for a moment. We aren't in control, she thought. As one, they rushed from the control room to help the others. Jessica screamed, a short, high-pitched sound as Marla and John ran to her. Charlie and Lamar arriving seconds later... All the animals were moving now in that same fitful way, cycling through their program movements at random with a desperate panicked air. The lights began to pulse, flickering rapidly on and off. The stage lights began doing the same, the colors appearing and disappearing so that the whole space was washed first in bright gold, then a sickly green, then a bruised and vicious purple. They blinked like strobes and the effects were nauseating. The speakers blared brief bursts of static, cutting in and out like the lights, and beneath the static was the same sound they heard the night before. The growling of a voice too low to be human, and too indistinct to be speaking words. The group came together cautiously, not quite trusting their own senses. The lights throbbed savagely, and as Charlie walked towards her friends, she could not be sure how far away they were, or what was right in front of her. 
They huddled in the middle of the floor, staring at the animals as they rattled and rocked as if on their own agenda. Carlton got to his feet, and Jessica watched him with concern, but he waved her off. I told you I'm fine, he said, shouting to be heard over the intermittent noise. Charlie stood fixed in place, unable to take her eyes off of the animals. They're trying to get away, she thought. But it was a child's thought, and she tried to dismiss it, but it clung as she watched them, scarcely noticing the fitful flickering of the lights and sounds. The animatronic creatures didn't look like they were glitching. Their movements seemed not mechanical, but hysterical, like there was something they needed desperately to do, but horribly could not. Where's Dave? John said suddenly. Charlie met his eyes with a rising dread. Oh no. They all look around, but the guard was nowhere in sight. We have to find him, Charlie said. He probably left already. Who cares? Marla said, her voice high and frightened. I'm not worried about him, she said grimly, and she turned to John. Come on, she said, setting off toward the hallway to the right of the stage. He glanced at the rest of the group over his shoulder and then followed Charlie at a brisk pace. We should find the other control room and see if we can stop all this from there, Jessica said crisply, taking charge. You and Jason go look for Dave, she told Marla. I'll go with them, Lamar said quickly. Okay, control room, Carlton said, looking at Jessica. Control room, she confirmed. They all set off, moving slowly. The strobing lights distorted the space in front of them, seeming to throw up obstacles that were not there, obscuring the ones that were. The effect was disoriented, a constantly shifting maze of light and noise. Ah! Marla shouted and everyone stopped short. You okay? Carlton yelled. Yeah, yeah, I just bumped into this stupid merry-go-round, she called back. And the speakers were momentarily noiseless, but they shouted across the small distance as if there was a canyon between them. In another hallway, Dave was moving towards a goal. Without the others there to watch, he moved fast, scuttling almost sideways and darting his eyes back over his hunched shoulders from time to time, just to make sure he was not followed. There was a large key ring at the belt of his uniform, but only a few keys hung from it. He selected one, opened a door, and let himself into the restaurant's office. He closed the door quickly behind them, cushioning it against the noise, even though the group would never hear it this far away or noted between their own shouts and the blaring of the speakers. He turned on the overhead light, and it was steady, illuminating the room without a flicker. On the far wall there was a tall closet, flat against the wall, and he used another key on his ring to open it. Dave stood still in the open door for a long moment, breathing deeply. As he did, his back straightened, and his hollow chest seemed to expand, drawing an uncharacteristic confidence from what he saw. An odd, thin smile on his lips, Dave reached out with his fingertips, savoring the moment when he brushed yellow fur. Jessica and Carlton hurried down the hall towards the second control room, but Marla and the two boys moved more slowly, sticking their heads into the party rooms than the arcade. The rooms appeared empty, but in a constantly changing light, Jason thought as they moved on it would be easy to miss just about anything. Having checked the area, Marla and Lamar headed back into the main room. Where's Jessica and Carlton? Lamar shouted over another burst of garbled sound. Jason stopped and looked back, and in a fleeting instant he saw it. A rabbit, outlined in the hall for a split second as if the lights flashed on him, then vanishing and appearing again in his place in the party room that they had just left. Marla! Jason shouted, his voice shrill and agitated. She whirled around. What? 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 Are you okay? I saw Bonnie. He was there. What? Marla's eyes went automatically to the stage and Bonnie was there, moving back and forth in the same odd spastic movements. Jason, look, he's there. He can't move off the stage. Jason looked, and Bonnie was there. 
But I saw him, he thought. Looking back down the hallway, it was empty. Jessica came running up out of breath. Is everybody okay? I heard screaming. We're fine, Lamar said. Jason thought he saw something. Where's Carlton? Marla said, and she rubbed her temples. Oh, this light's giving me such a headache. He's still fighting with the controls, Jessica replied. We should find Charlie and John. I think we need to get out of here. I think they went that way, Lamar said, pointing to the hall at the end of the room just past the stage. Come on, Jessica said. Jason followed as the group crossed the main dining room again, maneuvering cautiously around tables and chairs. He looked back as they reached the hall. Suddenly, Bonnie appeared again, darting out from the arcade and ducking into the hall that led into Pirate's Cove. Jason watched his sister and the others file through the doorway, then slipped away before they could see him go. He ran across the room, intent on following the rabbit, then slowed his pace when he reached the dark hallway. The lights in the little hall were completely out, and though he could see nothing, it was a minor relief from the pulsing strobes. Jason hugged the wall as he moved, trying to scan ahead of him for signs of movement, but it was just too dark. His eyes were not yet adjusted, and after what seemed like ages, he came out of the hall and into Pirate's Cove. From a distance, he could hear his sister's voice calling his name. Oh, they must have noticed him gone, he thought, but he ignored it. Crossing the room, he peered down the other hallway, the one that led into more party rooms, but it was so dark that he could scarcely see more than a few feet ahead. Turning back, he approached the little stage, the out-of-order sign still strung across it. Suddenly, the curtain moved, and Jason froze. The curtain began pulling back. Jason couldn't bring himself to run. Everything is dark. And then the lights came on suddenly to reveal Carlton standing in front of him, having emerged from behind the curtain. What are you doing here by yourself? Come on. Carlton greeted him with a somewhat warm smile. Awash with relief, Jason took a step forward, opening his mouth to speak, and stiffened, still struck a little with fear. Bonnie suddenly broke through the darkness, appearing beneath the stage lights before them. But it was not Bonnie. This rabbit's yellow fur was almost blinding in the light. It rushed at them, and before Jason could cry out, the giant rabbit got a hold of Carlton from behind, smothering his face with a giant matted paw and wrapping his other great arm around Carlton's chest, gripping tightly. Carlton struggled silently, hitting and kicking, but the creature barely seemed to notice. He screamed into the rabbit's paw, but the sound was swallowed whole. As he fought, the rabbit slunk back the way he came, dragging Carlton with him like a prize from a hunt. Jason watched them go agape. His heart race, and his breath was shallow, and the stifling air around him made him lightheaded. A noise came from behind him, the grinding screech of rusted metal beginning to move, and he leaped forward and turned, moving just in time to avoid a hook as it plunged swiftly downward. Foxy's eyes flashed in synchronicity with the lights above, and for a dizzy moment it seemed that Jason, that those eyes were controlling the force behind it all that if Foxy closed his eyes, every light might go out. But the animal did not move like the others. It slowly, purposely rose between the gaps in the curtains, its gleaming eyes reaching a staggering height. Jason! It was Charlie's voice he knew, but he kept staring back and forth, first at Foxy, then at the place where Carlton was stolen away. Charlie screamed for him again, and then she and John were beside him, touching him, shaking him out of the ghastly reverie. John grabbed his hand and pulled him into a run. In the main room, the others were already halfway down the hallway to the outside door. All but Marla, who was waiting anxiously at the entrance. Her face flooded with relief when she saw Jason. Marla, Bonnie took Carlton, Jason yelled, but she just put a hand on his back and pushed him through the door and into the hall. Just go. But I saw Bonnie take Carlton, he cried, but he ran afraid to stop. 
They ran down the hall to the outside door, all bouncing with frightened impatience as they filed through the alley one by one. There was no way to go any faster. When they were all through, Charlie looked down the hallway for a long moment, but no one was coming after them. She shoved the door closed and stepped out of the way as Lamar and John wrestled the shelf back into place and blocking it off. No one saw Dave, Charlie said. It was not a question. They all shook their heads. He must have taken off when the lights went haywire, Lamar offered, but he did not sound convinced. Carlton, Jason cried out again. Carlton's still in there. Bonnie took him. They all glanced around, and they did see that Carlton was not with them. Oh, my God, Jessica said. He's still inside. I said Bonnie took him, Jason said, choking out the words. I saw it. Bonnie was there. He was in Pirate's Cove, and he grabbed Carlton and carried him away. I couldn't stop him. He scrubbed a sleeve across his eyes, wiping tears. No, no, sweetheart. Marla hugged him, and he clung to her, hiding his face in his shirt. No, it had to have been a trick of the light. Bonnie couldn't do that. He's just a robot. He, he was on stage when we left. Jason closed his eyes. He had only glanced for a second at the main stage as they were leaving, but it was true. Bonnie was there, moving in strange and clumsy twists and bends stuck in place. He pulled away from his sister's arms. I saw it. Bonnie took him. The others exchanged glances above his head. Charlie looked at Marla, who shrugged. We have to go back in. Charlie said, we have to go get him. Jessica was nodding, but Charlie cleared his throat. I think we need help, he said. It's not safe in there. We could get Carlton's dad, Marla said. I'm not taking Jason back in there, though. Charlie wanted to protest, but she bit her tongue. They were right. Of course they were right. Whatever had just happened was beyond them. They needed help. That is the end of chapter six of Five Nights at Freddy's The Silver Eyes.